Hey guys, this is DM Mitch. I just want to remind you before the show starts that me and DM Chris are going to the RPG Academy's Acade Con coming up in November, the week of the 13th through the 15th. Once again, that's November 13th through 15th, Arcade Con. We're going to be there. RPG Academy is going to be there. Other guests are going to be there. We're all going to have a lot of fun playing awesome games. You too should be there. And so what I want you to do is I want you to go onto Twitter and I want you to follow Arcade Con's Twitter account, which is at Arcade Con. Super simple. And their Kickstarter is going to start August 6th. So head on over to their Kickstarter. That's where you're going to get your badge, your ticket into a CadeCon. It's in Ohio. So if you live in Ohio or any of the surrounding states, or even if you just want to make the trip, which would be awesome, come out, hang out with me and DM Chris, hang out with the RPG Academy guys, and every other awesome person that's going to be there at a CadeCon. We'll see you there. Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm your host, Dungeon Master Mitch, and sadly, Chris is away because he is married now. However, we have a surprise guest with us today. Flawful Jared is back. Say hi, Flawful Jared. Hi, Flawful Jared. <laughs> and we have come together and we said, all right, Chris is going to be gone on his honeymoon. What can we make an episode about? And we both kind of had this magical moment where we looked into each other's eyes and we said, adventure time. <laughs> so today we are talking about adventure time. We're going to talk about things from the show that we love that can be awesome in D&D. If you don't know, the creator of Adventure Time, Pendleton Ward, basically has said, I created this show Adventure Time because I loved D&D as a kid, and now I'm an adult and don't have time to play D&D because I have a job, so I made a show about D&D campaigns that I want to play in. So that's basically the entire show. It's a fantastic show. If you don't watch it, you should give it a try. If you do watch it, you're going to love this episode. Uh, if you don't want to watch it and you think it's stupid, then tune in next week for something else. <laughs> but before we jump into the meet where we talk about some Adventure Time ideas to put into your D&D campaign, we've got some shout outs to do. Our first review comes from A. Pissick, and it's entitled Helping Me Survive Third Shift. A. Pissick writes, I'm still a fairly new DM, mostly due to the fact that trying to get a group that isn't just me and my best friend together on a regular basis where I live is nigh impossible, both because of the location itself and the fact that I work 12-hour overnight shifts. Since I don't actually get to run or play in games very often, I'm always on the lookout for whatever I can get my hands on to scratch my constant D&D itch. DM Mitch and DM Chris have put together an excellent podcast here that I am hooked on, listened up to about episode 14 over the last two nights at work. Storytime is great and lets me live vicariously through their own campaigns, and the meat and the light bulb have been especially excellent sources of ideas and inspiration for my own writing and plans for whenever I actually do get around to being able to run a game that is. 
On top of all that, they seem like the kind of genuine and cool guys that I would love to hang out with and be friends with. Aww. <laughs> they like us. Keep doing what you guys are doing. You're awesome, Andy. Thanks, Andy. You're awesome, too. Our next review comes from The Dandy Man, who entitled this review, Much Useful, Very Dungeons, So Dragons, Such Creativity, Wow. Yeah. The Dandy Man writes, Been meaning to write a review for a while. Such a great tool for new DMs like me or experienced DMs. But there was a moment in episode 26 when someone mentioned Adventure Time and they played so the Bacon Pancake song. <laughs> and that was the moment where I knew I had to stop everything, pause the episode, and immediately write a five-star review. Seriously, though. Great show divided into four segments. Story Time, where they talk about their own campaigns. The Meat, where they discuss the main topic of podcasts, as lists in the title of the episode. The Light Bulb, where they give you an idea for a craft or tool or some such thing to save you time and money. And The Mailbag of Holding, where they respond to fan emails and tweets and whatnot. Seriously, great content. I look forward to it every week. Yeah. <laughs> and we look forward to your reviews. Keep them coming. That wasn't even planned. It just That was our next review to read. How convenient. How awesome. Our last one is from Bearded Dragon, and it's entitled Amazing Podcast. Bearded Dragon says, man, I couldn't say enough good things about these guys. They have helped me with ideas, and as a relatively new DM, they have taught me so much. Thank you guys for uploading your knowledge and experience for us. You're welcome, Bearded Dragon. You're welcome, The Dandy Man. You're welcome, A. Pissick. Thank you guys so much for writing those reviews. Well, with that, let's get to the meat. Well, put some meat in there. Dude, you see my masterpiece coming together, right? Huh. What kind of meat is that? That's Meat Man's meat. Do you think it hurts Meat Man when he gives us his meat? I don't know. I can't read his mind. I had a dream about Meat Man. Oh, yeah? I think I'm going to stop eating Meat Man. All right, so for this segment of the meat, we are going to, like we said, be discussing Adventure Time. And first off, Jared, I remember I started watching the show because one of my friends was like, hey, check this out. And I was like, no way. It's, I'm not going to like this. I'm, a, I'm an adult man. I'm not going to like this show. And I fell in love with it. I remember we were at college, going to college together, when I said, Jared, you got to watch the show. You said the exact same thing. I'm an adult man. I'm not going to like it. You fell in love with it. Now we proudly love Adventure Time and are all caught up on all the seasons. We love it. What is it about the show Adventure Time that made us fall in love with it? Yeah, I think for me, the show is just something that really brings me into it. I didn't think it would be something that I would like watching. Uh, I watched cartoons when I was a little kid, and then I turned 10 and started watching the news and Law and Order. Uh, so I really didn't think... Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> I really didn't think uh, being a like sophomore, junior in college that I would be watching this cartoon. But it really is interesting because it it's D&D, &D, but it's not D&D. &D. Yeah. It's fun, it's... Uh, crazy, it's different, it's weird, it's a cartoon. <laughs> Everything you just said, besides it's a cartoon, describes D&D, &D, just to me. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. But, but I like but I it. I understand. Because it's a cartoon where occasionally I get the joke, because the joke is something that only a Dungeons & Dragons player yeah. would watch. Yep. I don't remember that what it is. There's something special about but, it. But Flame King, in an episode I just watched, mm -hmm. made a joke that was totally D&D &D joke, and nobody well, would Don, get it outside of Don it. Don John, one of Flame King's henchmen in one of the episodes, says something. What does he say? My 
my gym is dark magic and my protein shake is rage. And if you watch Acquisitions Incorporated at all, immediately when you hear that, you think my gym is dark magic, gym dark magic. <laughs> There's no way that's a coincidence. <laughs> like, that's so fantastic. They drop in just hints about rolling. Like you were talking about the Flame King, like he talks about. He talks about alignment with yeah. uh, with Flame Princess yeah. because she's not chaotic evil yeah. enough. <laughs> and I think Finn breaks that too sometimes, and specifically talks about alignment and like how he's a good character and like how this character is this. And oh, it's just fantastic the D and D references that are in it. They have episodes devoted to Card Wars, which is a parody of Magic: The Gathering. If you like Magic the Gathering. It's a show that breaks down barriers, but it, it really, you know, you hear about Pendleton War, the creator, just loving D&D, and if you love D&D also, you see that in the show. Yeah. My, uh, my daughter occasionally watches a show that I watched when I was younger, and now it's like, oh, I get that adult humor. Yeah. But now I watch it, and it's, it's not I get the adult humor, I get the D&D jokes, yeah. and I get the nerd <laughs> jokes, and that's just really cool for that's me. That's the most fantastic thing ever. I think I love it, too, because it mixes both really dumb humor with, like, just brilliant humor and brilliant storytelling. Like, you could go from one episode that's just, like, completely doesn't have to do with the overall plot, but it's just goofy and silly and totally, like, like kids love this episode. There's no way kids don't love this episode. It's just silly and goofy. And then you go to another episode, and it's, like, you get flashes of, like, things that connect from, like, season one to season six. Like, there's always, like, this thing with Finn's arm going on. And there's all these, like, even the title sequence has, like, all these little hints to there's all these conspiracy theories of what is the land of Ooh? Is it Earth? Like, what happened? Like, it, what happened to the planet? There And there's all these theories about nuclear war and things. It goes so much deeper than just the actual show. And if you follow the actual story, it's just like there's just fantastic storytelling within it. All right, so let's start talking about some specific things that we love about the show that we, through our watching of the show, were just like, ooh, that would be a fantastic thing to bring into a D&D campaign. And so uh, we'll, we'll start this off by saying Adventure Time can be pretty goofy sometimes, so some of these ideas might sound a little goofy, and some of these ideas you might just go, eh, not for me, not for my D&D campaign, it's too goofy. That's okay. Well, one, we just want to say... Goofy and D&D campaign, there's nothing wrong with it. Sometimes you need some Goofy to have fun. But also, if it's something that doesn't strike you as something you want to use, hopefully there are things that we're going to bring up right now that you're like, ooh, that really is good. So uh, we've got a bunch of ideas. We're going to start off by talking about just some characters in Adventure Time that we think would make really interesting NPCs. And so the first one we want to talk about is this character called Cosmic Owl. And Cosmic Owl appears really early on, season one, episode three, in Prisoners of Love. Cosmic Owl is, basically he's this celestial owl being that his species is, they mark him as a deity. That's like how powerful he is. And in the land of Ooh, which is where Adventure Time takes place, he's known to appear in premonition dreams, so dreams that are telling something about the future. Specifically in this, in an episode with Jake, when he sees the Cosmic Owl for the first time, Jake says that, that he saw the Cosmic Owl and he's all worried because 
it was his croak dream. You remember this, Jared? Mm-hmm. So he like in a, a croak dream is also something that I kind of like that. I'm like, hmm, that might be kind of cool to put into like a D and D campaign, a a dream that's supposed to be a dream about the future that's telling the dreamer how they are going to die. <laughs> and so the whole episode, like Jake's freaking out because he saw the cosmic owl and he knows, oh, I'm gonna die, and it all turns up out to be in the end he wasn't actually getting a dream about how he's going to die, but how this guy called Banana Man saves his life. <laughs> we reaching into Banana Man, total goofy territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I really like Cosmic Owl because, I mean, if you're in a campaign and, and you decide as the DM that you want to place some sort of premonition or telling mm-hmm. the future to lead your characters one way or another, you could use a god or yeah. you could just use a dream. But what I like about Cosmic Owl is in the show – just about everybody recognizes that if Cosmic Owl is in your dream, it's a dream about your future. Yeah. It's a premonition dream. And so if you had this world where pretty much everybody knows or it's common knowledge that these kind of dreams are premonition dreams, that gives a lot of weight to what your characters just experienced in trying to oh, get yeah. the other characters to come alongside them. Even. even if it's like not a true thing and a superstition that people hear about it and thus they dream about it because they are it's in their subconscious they're thinking about it like as your players like role play you should say to them you know you as a player might just know for me as a dm even telling you this is just a superstition but your character thinks this is real <laughs> like and should act like he thinks this is real and if it is like a croak dream like oh gosh i'm it just showed my death like and then as the DM, of course, you got to do the fun, like dropping little things into the campaign that like he saw in the in his dream, like he passed like in his dream, like a flock of crows. And then that day they pass a flock of crows to make him be like, oh, gosh, like yeah. it's good. And come all true. that could be just coincidence that you're using to mess with their head. And anytime exactly. a DM messes with the player's head, it's going to be a good day for the DM. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the players, I think. So, yeah, it could be it could be a total superstition thing. Or it's D&D. Magic abounds. Deities abound. It could literally be a cosmic deity. It doesn't even have to be an owl that you pull out of it. That's just what Adventure Time does. But you could have it be a cosmic fox, a cosmic T-Rex, a cosmic dragon. It doesn't matter. Whatever you like. It could just be some kind of a, a god that just appears in people's dreams. But just that idea is just so awesome and like i love it especially for like the croak dreams like and if you say oh i if you say to like other npcs in this world i saw the cosmic owl in my dream a lot of people will probably especially like religious or superstitious people they're gonna bear weight to like what you said and like really want to listen to you and i mean that you could even have like people who claim to be false prophets because they claim that they saw the cosmic Mm -hmm. owl yeah, there's a lot of interesting elements. The Cosmic Owl is, is a great choice. Whether you use an owl or not, like Mitch said, there's a lot of good stuff for DMs based on that. Another thing with the Cosmic Owl that I liked is just it was like a small part. We don't get a lot of the Cosmic Owl in the show. He appears every now and then. And when when he does finally appear in the later seasons, you find out he's a pretty cool dude. He likes board games and uh, mm-hmm. he likes hot tubs and stuff like that. So, <laughs> But he, in one of the episodes in season one, episode 21 called Donnie, we find out that there's these these bad guys called Y-Wolves and they're basically like smart lycanthropes. And they have this plan to like overpopulate the world. And we find out that if they were to succeed, which they don't, 
that the cosmic owl would be forced to intervene and he would come and devour them all to set nature straight, which I kind of like. Like, it's like this cosmic owl is not only this like dream sequence kind of guy that appears and shows future things, but he also has this like he's a keeper of the balance of the cosmos. I like it a lot. And he hunts wolves. That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> Another character that we wanted to highlight is this character just simply called Billy. Billy is awesome. He appears first in season one, episode 25, called His Hero. And as far as species, he's some sort of humanoid and he's some sort of giant. He's gray skin. He's got a huge beard. He stands really tall. And Finn, like, idolizes. Finn is the main character, if you don't know anything about Adventure Time. Finn idolizes this character, Billy, this giant character, Billy, because he was known to, when he was young, be a great warrior, a legendary hero. What's really interesting is when Finn finally meets Billy, he's older, and in his old age, he's decided that violence is not actually the solution to being evil. And so it's funny because Finn kind of reaches Billy, and he's like, oh, I want to I wanna learn from you. Teach me your ways. And Billy's just like, I don't agree with your ways, Finn. <laughs> like, your violence is not accomplishing anything. And by the end of, like, that episode, they come to an understanding and Billy and Finn become friends and they hang out more and uh, Billy and Finn just have this really good relationship. And unfortunately, by season four, episode 26, The Lich... Spoiler alert, by the way, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen all the episodes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Billy is killed by the evil Lich. Actually, the Lich actually takes over Billy's body. So it's like half disintegrated, half Billy. You see like half skull and horns, half Billy's face. And the Lich takes over Billy's body. And then you have like Finn, like totally just downhearted, like distraught because his friend, his his hero, Billy, has died. This evil lich has killed him, and now is he has to fight this lich who's in Billy's body, which I think is fantastic for a D&D campaign. Jared, I know we've talked about like tragedy in D&D campaigns in the, like, on the show before. You've experienced tragedy through certain events with your D&D characters and friends that they had and like character deaths. And, I mean, you played a big part back when we had I had let you play an NPC that was secretly evil and turned on the players, Dama Dwinadrin, that he was just all about like messing with them and just ruining their lives. He killed a couple NPCs that they were good friends with. And to a point, that's a really good thing to do in a D&D campaign because it, we've talked about villains before, but it makes the players hate the villain, which, of course, that's what you want. And tragedy to an extent, you don't want to do it every time. You don't want to keep being a jerk, keep being a jerk as a DM. It's not about being a jerk. It's about making the players feel emotions, having attachments. I mean, I've always said it, the best movies are the ones where the hero dies in it because mm. you really feel for that hero. Like Braveheart, fantastic. V for Vendetta, fantastic. So that to me is just something that's a, like would be something a good to pull out of Billy's story. Just an NPC that maybe he's even like Billy, a mentor to the players. I think, and I could be wrong, but I think in the episode you mentioned 
Billy actually gets Finn to help him with these things. Mm -hmm. And again, spoiler alert, but the whole time Billy is really the lich. And we don't actually find that out until later in the episode when Finn's handed them this really powerful book. Oh, you're totally right. And so this whole time... I think it's the Enchiridion. And he's saying, we got to get it to destroy it. And they collect all these like crystals that go in it. And it ends up being... Uh, the Enchiridion ends up being this like portal to all these different universes. Yeah. And so the Lich used Billy's form to totally betray Finn and have mm-hmm. Finn help him. And so if you can do something like that, where not only is Finn then forced to fight what looks like his mentor, yeah. but the whole time he believed he was really doing the right thing yeah. with Billy, who turned out to be the Lich. You might get, we've seen it before, you might get players who are kind of giving you the mad stare for a little bit, but hopefully they'll come around and realize that was really good. We've had points where players have You have to be careful about who you're playing with if you're going to do something We've had points where players have been mad in the moment at the DM and then later been just like, no, I'm sorry for being mad at you. That was brilliant. You did such a good job that the emotions that my character felt were so strong that it went into my emotions. But like that, that kind of thing can be so good. But yeah, like you said, just be careful. If you have a group of people who you're like, I don't know if they could be mature enough for that, then you are the dungeon master for your group. You know them the best. You decide whether or not that's a good option or not. I think a side note for Billy before we move on is uh, that character is voiced by Lou Ferrigno. And ever since I noticed that, I feel like I've noticed other voices that I recognize. And I haven't gone through to like check who they are. Amazing with that, like the guest voices. But Lou Ferrigno, the original Hulk. Like, if you weren't interested in Adventure Time, come on. Lou <laughs> Perigno voices Billy. Yeah. It's, it's, pretty it's just cool that a show like this that's for kids and so nerdy can get these kinds of yeah. celebrities yeah. Uh, involved. The next one that I really wanted to mention was Choose Goose, whose species is a humanoid goose. And we, uh, I think at first, see him in Season 2, Episode 4, but he's a recurring character. And he even has a, I guess I would say, a strong relationship with Finn and Jake. Yeah. Because at one point, he even gets mad that they bought one thing from, from a different somebody merchant. Else. Like, he's a shopkeeper that's like, you, I had loyalty to you. Why don't you have loyalty yeah. to me? Like, you're supposed to come to me. Which is ridiculous, because one of the things about him is usually the only things he sell he sells are adventuring gear that's useless or <laughs> yep. pointless or backfires and does all this bad that's stuff. some weird twist to it. Yeah. Yep. And, and w- the thing that I think would be so much fun for a DM is choose goose, even though his name doesn't exactly rhyme is always trying to rhyme his sentences yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't always do a good job. Sometimes he sounds like a DM trying to make a rhyme, but it just didn't happen. And it's so fun to watch him and the show try and do that i think that's a great character this is total goofy territory but like we said at the beginning like goofy is sometimes something that it just needs to be embraced by you as the dm because what are you getting together to play D D for with friends hopefully you're getting together to at the core of it have fun and tell stories and like to have a goofy you don't have to make him a humanoid goose <laughs> like especially if you have players who listen to or watch adventure time they're going to be like all right choose goose come on yeah. but have a have a shopkeeper that rhymes and don't like go uh like 
give me a second. Like, let me think of a rhyme. Just say whatever comes to your mind and just be ridiculous with it. Like, cause that's what choose goose does. And it's hilarious. You can tell that the, the writers were just like, whatever comes to your mind first, man, that's the mm-hmm. rhyme that he does. Yeah. I think you mentioned this before and I agree. I would never actually play an adventure time. No, uh, campaign or anything we love even it, we like, because it's, it's just so hard. it's too silly and there's there's elements even outside of silliness that would make it difficult but even the silliness alone and the goofiness wouldn't be something i'd want to play on a mm-hmm. recurring basis but these sorts of silly elements these goofy elements that you can put in once in a while i think are a lot of fun you know i don't want like especially if you're gonna have a campaign where you are doing tragedy well yeah. sometimes you need things to just lighten the mood and a merchant that likes to rhyme <laughs> is an easy thing you can do Oh, yeah. to have a lot of fun well, and they'll keep coming back to that merchant oh yeah too. <laughs> oh yeah they totally will because they want to hear you struggle and make rhymes mm. they want to hear it i think even you said at one point you're like choose who's came up and you were just like i want to see mitch dm and do a merchant who has to rhyme all the time and just keep struggling to like yep. rhyme like i would i would make him do that over and over again and i know you would yep you would be frustrated <laughs> i would come him. to the merchant asking to buy the orange yeah <laughs> Uh, but that's like that's such a good point i've heard of dms who play really serious campaigns and that's great like sometimes like as a dm i internally get frustrated when my players and goofing off and i'm like guys this is a really serious moment come on like come on guys like i worked really hard on this (laughs) and it it all the time happens but sometimes you're playing a really serious campaign to the point where you're playing serious 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 and sometimes you need to break out the goofy like what if it's like the week of April Fools. Do a goofy campaign with the same campaign. You could even say this is a non-canonical, like this is our holiday episode that's non-canonical. Uh-huh. We're gonna go on this goofy adventure and and like play with those same serious characters and let their seriousness even be part of that like joke. But have fun with it. And then you at the end you have them return to the same place they started with and that that quote unquote episode, that campaign that was non-canonical, not part of the story, whatever, but it was just a fun night where you just uh-huh. goofed off with it. Another character that I really find interesting, and I probably find him more interesting than most people would, <laughs> but it's Daniel. You see him in Season 3, Episode 8 in the Wizard Battle. That's when you first see him, yep. but he comes back a couple times when... Uh, when uh, Jake tries to make uh, him friends, uh, Finn and Jake make him friends with the Ice King oh, yeah. and stuff. Uh, <laughs> Abraka Daniel is a wizard, but he's a wizard who only casts cantrips, and usually those cantrips are like flowery things and rainbows, <laughs> and he even struggles to do that. So you see him like really exerting a lot of energy to cast this little image of a rainbow. And somehow I believe yeah, doesn't his wand like go just make a noise like, when, like <laughs> yeah, he's trying to like yeah. cast a rainbow out of it like a tiny one. Yeah, <laughs> and and I and I believe he won the wizard battle. Yeah, uh, which is just fascinating to have this character in the land of Wu who is the person he won the wizard yeah. battle and he can barely cast cantrips. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it was a fluke that he won. Yeah, like, I think it was Finn and Jake tricked the Grand Wizard into thinking that they that Abigail Daniel won, but. Just a fantastic, once again, goofy character. Mm, yeah, like, he's he's kind of silly, but it's interesting. I, even just the concept, take it serious. But you've got this this world around wizard in your campaign who isn't really that good yeah. of being a wizard. Wizard of Oz kind of thing. It's yeah. a it's a sham. Like, and maybe maybe that's it. Maybe he's got people around him that he's he built up this like con so well that now he's got other real powerful wizards around him that he go he like. 
intimidates them into like doing his actual magic. Like I will not lift a finger. I'm too important for that. And never has to do magic. Mm-hmm. Cause he just sucks at it. Yeah. I would even go as far to say, make a character like Abraka Daniel, the wizard that can't do magic well at all. Make him like a really important NPC. One that like, for whatever reason, the characters need for a certain campaign or something. They always go to him for help. And, he's just like this really useless wizard. Maybe he's a wizard that like, for whatever reason he's necessary to the campaign and they literally have to bring him with them on adventures. And so whenever battle comes, he's trying to shoot his little rainbow out and it's not working. (laughs) And, and sometimes these little cantrips that he struggles to do that seem silly, they work for him and they do well. So if you're the kind of DM who thinks you're really creative on the spot, Make this an NPC that goes with you and challenge yourself to come up with ways that these little cantrips save the day. Somehow save the day, yep. The last NPC that we want to talk about is this character called Prismo. Prismo is by far one of my favorite characters of the entire show. Uh, He doesn't come in until Season 5, Episode 1. He comes in in the episode named Finn the Human. As far as species, he's not really a species. He is the dream manifestation of an old humanoid he looks kind of he looks just like an old man but we know that finn and spoiler alert again his possibly dad are the only humans left as far as we know so he's not he's not a full human another reason that is because this humanoid who's dreaming that creates prismo this dream manifestation of him is over 10,000 years old, so clearly not a human. The coolest thing about Prismo is, well, beyond his personality, because he's like this really awesome guy. He's like all into making pickles and things like that for Jake. (laughs) But the coolest thing about Prismo is that he is known to be a wish master. And so a wish master is a super powerful dream manifestation that grant can grant any being in the multiverse one wish. And with this one wish, I kind of feel like when they were creating Prismo, they were thinking of Jin mm-hmm. uh, because yeah, a I lot agree. of what they have with the Wishmaster kind of relates to like what I know of Jin lore. Um, so when when Prismo grants a person their one wish, what he actually does, and this is to me, this mind boggles me to like the consequences and different things that could come about because of one simple wish. He teleports the wisher to another reality where their wish comes true, which is crazy to me. I'm like, so what happens to the other reality? Like, does it just go on without that person from now on? Because you, so you make the wish and then you don't exist in that reality. It's crazy. So he teleports them to another reality where their wish comes true And some wishes can be powerful enough to completely create or destroy worlds. And this is what reminds me so much of the djinn, is that unless very carefully worded, the wishes that Prismo gives out usually have like a strange twist or kind of like Choose Goose might end up backfiring. (laughs) Although Prismo is not like a djinn, like kind of, I feel like he's not sneaky, like, not at least with Finn and Jake. He's like their buddies. He, well, there, he wants to help them yeah, out. Yeah, there are so. times because he made such good friends with Jake, yeah. he tried helping him out, didn't mm-hmm. he? And kind of helping him word the wish. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, no, 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 don't say it like that, dude. Say I mean, it like this. Yeah, I mean, I think he gets joy out of 
doing that, yeah. uh, messing with people. But if you're friends with him, if you're, buddies you're in with pretty him. good. Yeah. <laughs> so. If you hang out with him at his party with with Cosmic Owl, then you're probably mm-hmm. okay. So yeah, he's he's a, he's over ten thousand years old. Dream manifestation of this old man. Prismo's awesome, but just this idea of like a wishmaster, or whether it's a dream manifestation, because that's something you could take in its own right, or you could just make something like a creature that's a wishmaster, a person who's so powerful that they can grant any being one wish. And of course, they they should be tricky with it. Mm-hmm. Like if you as a DM give your players wishes in a game, because that can get a hand really quickly. Like you should totally in the back of your mind be listening to every single thing they say and figure out can I uh, can I manipulate this a little bit? All right, so those are some NPCs that we thought were really interesting and could be pulled out some inspiration from that and put into a D and D campaign. We're going to talk about some items now. Specifically, I plan on just talking about swords, but Jared pulled out two really great items that I was like, yeah, we can't not talk about that. First of all, we're going to talk about the sound sword. Uh, This appeared in Season 3, Episode 5, entitled Too Young. And this is the Earl of Lemongrab's sword. This sword is shaped at the very end kind of like a tuning fork, which makes sense. It's the sound sword. And its abilities are it's powered by screams. So whenever the Earl of Lemongrab is yelling, Unacceptable! (laughs) He screams and it just shoots out this powered by sound wave, which in D&D I would very much equate to this would be sonic damage that you and as a dm i don't know about you jared but i would completely not let it work if the player just said my character screams and uses a sound sword i'd be like no like you actually have to scream. you actually have to scream mm-hmm. what what you're screaming i want to hear it yep. <laughs> and it better be good <laughs> it better be good or it might not do as much damage mm-hmm. i will award you the dice damage to, that might end up really being annoying <laughs> <laughs> they're just constantly screaming <laughs> but it's like powered by by scream so it's powered by sound which i thought also if somebody drops a silence spell this sword probably becomes Maybe even more useless than like a regular sword. <laughs> it also has the ability to, with its sound waves, break some objects. The Earl of Lemon Grab does that in the show. He'll break. Uh, if I've, there's one point somebody's not listening to him, he's got headphones on. He like screams and points at the headphones, and they just explode. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in D and D terms, there's a spell called Shatter. Maybe it has an effect like that, like right. that it can shatter certain objects. It also has the possibility of knocking foes unconscious, which could in D and D be stunned or dazed and of course the earl uses it to drag his subjects who don't listen to him who are unacceptable into his reconditioning chambers so (laughs) but i thought this would be a really cool sword a sword that is powered by the screams the battle cries of its of its Uh user and uses sonic damage and you could give it any number of these special powers one of the next weapons that is is really interesting is the demon blood sword uh, which we see in uh, the episode Dad's Dungeon, which is season three, episode 25. And it's a sword that belongs to Jake and Finn's uh, dad, Joshua, who's a dog just like Jake. And Joshua went on adventures, and he ended up mm-hmm. getting this sword. And this sword contains the blood of Kioth, which is a powerful demon in the show. And this is an item that I think would be really interesting because D&D has demons and something like yeah. this could potentially exist 
where by reading the words that are inscripted on the sword, they actually summon this demon mm-hmm. Keoth who is sort of bound to this sword in a way, yeah. or or it has his blood well, and I he believe wants when it they back. First get the sword from the dungeon that their dad put it in. And it's it's like in a dungeon their dad put it in, it's un it's encased in locks and stone, which to me, I'm like, if you were go like, if this is your dad's dungeon and he put it in a dungeon and he put it locked up like this, like, doesn't that kind of like seem like maybe I shouldn't mm-hmm. take this out? Maybe it's in here for a reason. But yeah, I think as soon as they pull it out, like Kia appears and asks for it back, and then they banish him. <laughs> yeah, so it's just it's interesting to to be able to have in your campaign, I think, a sword that somehow, in whatever way you can imagine or whatever way you want can connect you with this demon and you don't necessarily yeah. have to be evil to use it, but I mean, maybe you are, maybe you're not. And there's good conflict there and whether it's an okay item to have. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the most interesting things that I would like to, as a DM, see my players struggle because if you introduce a weapon like this, that's powerful like this, of course the players want to keep it. But I feel like as soon as they get this sword, any, player who's played D is going to think oh this is this should i keep this or should i should i destroy it obviously if you're playing an evil campaign they're of course going to keep it mm-hmm. but if they're playing a good campaign one it's the morality behind it two it's also the longer i keep it the longer this could backfire on me which it happens in the show that it backfires and right. the demon like gets its blood back and like I think it steals Jake and almost kills him. I can't remember exactly, it, but yeah, it traps him and yeah. because because he the demon, Joshua. yeah, the yeah. demon thinks Jake is Joshua because yep. they look just alike. And he hates his dad. Yeah, and so yeah, he's asking for his blood or something back, yeah. and Jake has no Throws idea. Throws him into a pit and makes him fight like another warrior or like something. A, yeah, I think. Some and, woman. and Jake's just like, I won't, I won't fight you. Let's just be friends. And the woman wants to kill him because she's like, No, I want my freedom. But yeah, like it, like you keep a weapon that's so evil, especially in a good campaign, and really, like I think eventually that should come back to bite the players in the butt, and I think the players should know that and would know that. So, but it's an interesting like struggle of moral dilemma here. Do we keep this powerful sword? In the in the show, it's immune to both dark magics fire and it's just all around a really good sword so i mean you could make a sword maybe it makes you the wearer immune to fire or immune to certain dark spells so Mm. the next item that we want to talk about is the lightning sword it was only in one episode but it's pretty cool pretty cool item it appeared in dungeon train season five episode 36 and this is a part of the crazy amounts of loot we'll talk about dungeon train in a little bit but crazy amounts of loot that finn gets in this dungeon that's a train and it's shaped this the blade is shaped like a lightning bolt the hilt is like cloud looking and looks exactly like the lightning sword should look and basically it shoots lightning from its end which in DD that's so easy to just make a a sword that's shaped like a lightning bolt that once a day uses the spell lightning bolt (laughs) when you've got dragonborns who have their breath ability that do the same thing why not put that sort of thing into a weapon it won't break your game if you limit it well it's just cool depending on what level you're at 
I mean, you could literally just have it happen all the time, and depending on what level, it's not going to break the game. And that's up to you as the DM to know when to put these items. And at in. that point, you're uh, you're somebody with who's using a melee weapon to make ranged attacks. Yeah. So maybe Which it's not awesome. that great. The next sword that Finn gets in the storyline is called the Grass Sword, and it appears first in Blade of Grass season five. Episode 45. It's purchased from an evil grass wizard. Which, which makes <laughs> Choose Goose pretty upset. <laughs> yeah, which makes Choose Goose pretty upset. And Choose Goose is right. He shouldn't have purchased it because it's cursed to bond itself to the owner for all eternity. Its abilities include that it's super precise. So this would be like a plus to hit. Absolute like high, really good plus to hit sword. It it has this really cool feature that it's literally like this long blade of grass, this sharp blade of grass that transforms into a sword. But when you're not attacking with it, it's just a blade of grass that wraps itself around your arm. So you're just like walking around with this blade of grass wrapped around your arm, and yeah. as soon as you need a weapon, whoosh, like you flick your hand and it comes out. Yeah, Finn gets the sword, and at first it thinks it's kind of neat, but then he yeah. realizes it's a cursed item, and he tries getting rid of it. And then once he realizes it's not a big deal and it's kind of a nice cursed item, Mm -hmm. that's when all of a sudden, like, because he wasn't against it, that's when the sword was able to wrap around his wrist. And it's like a a switchblade on your hand, really, with a very, very good sword. If you you like this idea and don't want to make it cursed, don't make it cursed. Like, it's still a sweet... I think this would be a perfect weapon for somebody who was trying to sneak a weapon into a place like a thief or something it's a blade of grass that wraps around your arm nobody's gonna people might think you're weird but who's gonna go oh what's that grass in your arm it's totally a weapon it's totally a sword in the show finn can also flick the sword and it starts to whirl around this sharp blade like a helicopter might be a little goofy for a DD campaign but then again if you're embracing the goofy for the night Go for it, man. There's actually one point in the story where it completely turns Finn's arm into this huge grassy tentacle and just starts like lashing out and attacking all by itself against one of Finn's enemies. He kind of just, he loses control over it, has almost a mind of its own. You could almost say this is an intelligent weapon. Eventually, Finn loses this weapon. He also loses his arm. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Which leads him to being able to get the next weapon called the Finn Sword. And when I saw this episode, I was like, we have to do this. This is one of my favorite items. One of my favorite things that the show has done so far. It appears the Finn Sword in Is That You? Season 6, episode 19. And basically, this sword comes about because of a paradox where Finn is in a dream world visiting Prismo, and he's trying to stop. He basically goes back in time in this dream world with Prismo's powers, and he tries to stop Finn from the past from doing something. Finn from the past sees him, turns around, screams, explodes, and turns into this awesome looking sword with the colors of Finn on it. And it's like this crystal sword looking sword. It's got this blue gem in the middle. And it's just like this awesome moment of, well, that was not something I as the viewer was expecting for Finn to explode. And like, I've seen like things before where like they do it in Project Almanac. Like you see yourself in the past, you time travel. That's not good. Bad things are going to happen. You're both be erased from history, whatever it is that's been done. Seeing somebody and it turns into a sword, it turns you into a sword. Haven't seen that before. It was awesome. Mm -hmm. And so you find out later that 
any fighter would want the sword because what it does for Finn is it doubles Finn's physical abilities. So because he's holding a sword that was him, all of his physical abilities are doubled. So strength, dexterity would be doubled, which is crazy. That would be nuts. However, if you're playing like high-level campaigns or you want to drop this in as a sword that they'll only be able to get for a certain amount of time, like this would be a crazy item to introduce into your world. It also, you find out later that Finn's dream world duplicate is actually trapped inside of the sword and he's able to still talk to Finn directly from the blue sphere that he's trapped inside of. So you could like have an intelligent sword that's that character talking to that character, Mm. which... I don't know if you as the DM run that or if you let the player talk to himself, which would be such a difficult thing, but fun fun to watch for sure. Yeah, give that over to the players because they can have a lot of fun oh, yeah. <laughs> role-playing that. Exactly. The next one was one that I thought of, straying away from the idea of weapons, and this one is one I'm really excited. It's fantastic. It's this book that shows up just briefly in a few episodes. Uh, we see it in the episode Reign of Gunters, which is the 24th episode of season four. And it's this book called Mind Games by J.T. Dogzone. And it's just a book full of bad advice. And Finn is reading it trying to get, uh, I don't know if it's love advice or what certain advice he's getting at at that point. point. It's definitely love advice, but yeah. And so he's reading this to try and get advice. And Jake even says, oh, no, 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 you don't want to read that. It's it's (laughs) no good. Um, But I think it's just a book of bad advice, man. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It's uh, I think this is a great item. If you put a book in your campaign that's got like answers to all these things, Mm -hmm. at some point, hopefully your player is going to open it up and you as a DM get to have a lot of fun trying to come up with this advice that sounds okay, but really isn't good advice. Yeah. Uh, and trying to disguise that and seeing how that plays out. And if it happens to work out, then your players are going to keep coming yeah. back to this, this book. This book is fantastic. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, that is just an idea that I think is a lot of fun for you could, DMs. You could even, maybe this book is magical to the point where it isn't even good sounding advice, but the players' characters who read it have to roll will save. And if they fail, like you're like, you believe that this is the best advice you could ever hear. <laughs> like you are set in stone, ready to follow this advice. I also see like two possible origins for this in a D&D world that would be fantastic. The first one that comes to my mind is clearly this could be a book of Ola tomorrow. <laughs> like clearly Ola tomorrow would be a god who would want to create a book like this to just mess with people. This could be Ola Damar's holy book for all we know. Another opposite spectrum for me in my mind is maybe it's St. Cuthbert, the god of wisdom. And this is like a holy book of his that's almost like a it's supposed to teach the person using it not to believe everything you read kind of thing. Like the, uh, what do they, what do they say? Older people nowadays will be like, do you believe everything you see on TV? <laughs> like, yeah. like Cuthbert, like this old, like God just like, do you believe everything you read? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and even it, it, maybe it's not something that comes from a God mm-hmm. in our modern and our real world. There are a lot of books and things out there that, are very popular that are just stupid. Yeah. <laughs> they're just pointless or they're awful, and this could just be a thing. It's a book. Uh, lots of people know about it. Maybe lots of people read it. Everyone's got it on their shelf. 
but maybe somebody in your group really takes it seriously. <laughs> Do you want to tell them the uh, the theory you have behind it? Because I didn't think about this until you said it. I thought uh, it was pretty fantastic. I'm probably not the first person to think this, and maybe I even think it because a show, an episode hinted at it, but I'm not sure. But I think the name J.T. Dog Zone sounds a lot like Jake the Dog. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, and he's the one who knew it was s- such, such bad, bad advice. advice. <laughs> so it makes me think, I wonder if he has anything to do. Like he's the author or something, mm-hmm. yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Next thing that I thought was an interesting item was something found in the episode All the Little People from Season 5, Episode 5. And really the interesting item I thought in that or items were all the little people where I believe Magic Man kind of sneaks in there and he he plants this bag on Finn's waist. And when they open it up and there's all these little figures of all these people they know, uh, like Princess Bubblegum and even Finn himself and Jake and all the popular characters. And but Ice they're King. like moving and like they're little people, but they they're seemingly at least alive. Mm-hmm. Like they don't like he listens to them and they talk, but they talk like almost like I thought of the Sims, like wah, 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 wah. <laughs> like they don't talk English, but right. you can see them interacting with each right. other. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's full of all these minis and and Finn even mentions at one point the C-list characters that he leaves in the bag for a little <laughs> yeah. bit because there are these characters that are have been in the show, but they're not main characters. No. So that was a funny uh, reference, sort of breaking the fourth wall. Um, but in this episode, Finn just becomes entranced with these things. He loves these things because, you know, he's seeing these friends of his come together and some of them develop clear romantic relationships and like Rainicorn and Jake end up breaking up in mini version and uh, he spends weeks and weeks, even like, I think it's like 16 weeks yeah. or something like that. He <laughs> spends just, just like, dude, this is creepy, bro. You got to like break out of this. <laughs> and I think it, that's an he interesting idea yeah. to have uh, in your group. Uh, if you use at your table minis to represent all your characters and your NPCs, like that's a great tool to have these things. In. And maybe you don't want to act them out. Maybe you just want to say what they do. Yeah. But you can have your players kind of motion these certain characters together or do this with these characters and then you can say how those minis respond and and it's just a fun little thing probably not going to affect your campaign much but just an interesting thing well, to put we, in there we even said like at the beginning when you brought this up i was like that's a that's a fantastic one we gotta do that but then we both had this kind of moment where we were like but how do you as a dm like run that like how do you roll and you were like oh you could use minis and like we were kind of thinking but like you could, like, we talked about the, like, non-canonical, like, campaign adventure. You could have, like, a night where the players find this. That's the first thing they do. And then they put down characters, and maybe you just have, like, this little master list of if they put these characters down together, it starts this little adventure. Like, this this 30-minute long, like, adventure with their these characters, and you see what happens. And the fun thing about this is that you could end this little... 30 minute adventure with the characters from your campaign with them, like ending up hating each other mm-hmm. and k- even killing each other. Cause the, you're not actually playing with the characters. Right. And then you like do the like movie zoom out to your characters as they're looking at the table with these little people who have just killed themselves and like, Ooh, we don't want that to happen. <laughs> that would be bad. <laughs> yeah. There's a point where Finn, after he breaks out of this sort of addiction of his, where he's trying to talk to the mini version of himself. 
and he's trying to communicate. And then we kind of zoom into what this mini who this whole time has just been walking around on his kitchen table, what he's experiencing. And in the mini's eyes, there's this dynamic world where things are happening. Yeah. He can communicate and he can talk. So maybe you step into what they're experiencing mm-hmm. in their little mini mind yeah <laughs> um, which then makes your characters hopefully think what if they're just minis that somebody else is playing with Ooh, like the gods <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh it's such a good good item to put in your campaign it'd be so cool the little mini characters oh it'd be fantastic so uh the next thing we want to talk about is we w- want to just take a brief second to just talk about the world the land of Ooh itself there was one thing that we really just want to talk about this episode having to do with the land of Ooh itself specifically that this land of Ooh has all these tons of princesses tons of kings queens kingdoms and a lot of them are like very specific like you have like the candy kingdom you have which the princess is princess bubblegum and all the people are made out of candy you have the fire kingdom where everybody is like flame elementals you have the Ice King, and I don't know if you call it a kingdom because it's like a mountain. It's just top. him and penguins. Yeah. Him and, and penguins. But there's like snowmen and like yeah, snow yeah. like creatures. Like, uh, icy mountain range, and like so he lives in and, like an and ice is, kingdom. Yeah. Whether it's an actual kingdom, there's no like it's penguins. But and it's snowmen, like yeah, but. and there's and there is a point where you don't see a lot of people, but when he. I forget what the episode, but he combines all these princess parts into this creature mm-hmm. that becomes like oh, his yeah, princess. Yeah, I remember it. And he like ends like up fly- Golem, flying him through this mountain. And you see like um, like ice buffalo or something, <laughs> but like you can see their intestines through the ice, which huh. I just thought was an interesting thing. But yeah, so there's yeah. this living world that he's in control yeah, of. Yeah, so like they, they split up this world, this land of Ooh, into all these different kingdoms. And they've got a slime princess and a slime kingdom, which could very well be taken as like... They're made of acid or they're oozes because that's basically what they are. They're oozes. And we just thought this, like, if you are building a world, uh, which we talk about a lot on this podcast, it's a fantasy world. You could do whatever you want. You could go, I don't want to have a specific fire kingdom, a specific ice kingdom. You could even just go as far as just saying, I do want to have that, but I want that to be like the planes themselves. Like D&D does that. Like you have the elemental planes where it's like you can go to a fire plane, an airplane, a an airplane, (laughs) Uh, but you can go to these planes of existence where it's like, that's where those elemental creatures come from. But at the same time, like there's something cool about a world where there is kingdoms and that are specifically like with certain elements. And to me, that brings like forth such like there's a, a really small item. We didn't put it in here, but like there's a flame sword in the show. Like, where's that going to come from? Fire Kingdom, of course. Mm-hmm. So, like, if there were places like a Fire Kingdom, an Ice Kingdom, an Earth Kingdom, uh, now I'm thinking very much of uh, Magic the Gathering, where they have Ravnica and they've got mm-hmm. all those like guilds and stuff like that. But and that's something that I think would come out of this world that's like split so much. But then, if you want a fire sword, you know where to go. You want a, a ice spear, you know where to go, and you have these all these kingdoms and creatures that in your D&D world which I feel like if it was so split up what happens with a D&D group it's never we all want to play humans it's always like this weird band of circus freaks like <laughs> walking around they're always, everybody always wants to play something interesting which is fantastic so in this world if you had a group of characters that was like I'm playing a fire ganassi I'm playing a this I'm playing a that like 
they're going to be even more weird for being together than in a normal world where other things are together. Yeah, but and even in these like separated kingdoms, and Mitch hinted as a, at this a bit, the people there are what that kingdom is, whether mm-hmm. they're flame elementals or anything. So that's, I think, good even PC ideas or NPC ideas to do with... Uh, like wizards or magic yeah. users because you have the ice king and all of his magic is ice. You have the forest wizard, the grassy mountain wizard. And I don't think it would be, I don't think it would ruin the game to have even a player character who's takes all the spells from the spell list, but makes an ice version yeah. of them. Yeah. Like if you're thinking right now, but there's not enough ice spells. It's so easy to make fireball into ice exploding snowball. ice shard. Yeah, snowball. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, like they got the flaming sphere that's like a, a sphere that rolls around. Why not a small a snowball? Floating roll, disc is around. a disc of ice mm-hmm. or whatever. There's Ray's the, dead is raise snow into snowmen. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know it, you can be creative and have fun with it and make those specific wizards. Yeah, and that way you don't you don't have to worry about range and damage and all that. You just translate it into an ice version of it and and use some creativity to do those things. Uh, but you can have a lot of fun with very focused magic users or depending whatever. on who your players are, like you might not even have to do a lift a finger. Like I know if if that was me playing in a campaign that you were running and you were like like Jared, you're like, oh yeah, we're gonna have this split up kingdom. It's there's an ice kingdom, there's a fire kingdom, and you can be specific wizards. And I said, oh, I want to be a I want to be an ice wizard. I wouldn't look to you like if you had spells, like give them to me. But I would myself have a really fun time as a player creating like you just being as the dm i trust you go ahead like don't change stats but go ahead and make make those spells into ice spells i would have a blast doing that maybe some players not so much but i think the ones that are going to want to play the ice wizard the fire wizard are going to be the ones that have the the fun yeah Mm. another thing that i thought of even with like if you have a world split up into different elementals and such is what happens if something happens to make those kingdoms start to ooze into each other or collide. Like, is that a like possibly world altering ending event? Like there's a reason that this world was created by the gods with a fire kingdom over here and a water kingdom over here. Like what happens if the water kingdom starts to on purpose or by accident, start to expand into the fire kingdom. We all know what happens then. And then does that mean that like their allies start to like join up with the fire kingdom and like fight back against the water kingdom? Like, I feel like there could be this very tense border thing going on within this world. So that's something that we, we noticed about the world of adventure time that we thought was pretty interesting and could be taken. If you are creating a world yourself, maybe you want to take some of those elements and put them into your world. Or just take one of those elements and make it your world. I think every campaign should take place in lumpy space, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> Don't name it the world of ooh. Just name it the the land of ah. <laughs> <laughs> to wrap all this up, what would an episode of Adventure Time into D&D be if we didn't specifically talk about some adventures that Finn and Jake went on that we loved and just pull some like adventure ideas from that? So that's what we're going to do right now. We've got a couple things that we really... Episodes that specifically were we were just like, oh, that's so good. The first thing I want to mention is in Season 1, Episode 18, there's an episode called Dungeon, 
we don't we're not going to go really into everything with this, but there's just this one thing that I thought had to be mentioned and could totally be pulled into one of your D&D campaigns. In this episode, Finn and Jake go into a dungeon, hence the name, and they run into a lot of creatures that are actually pretty similar to D&D creatures. Uh, you can see Pendleton Ward bringing out his D&D love in this episode. Specifically, there's a creature that I believe Finn calls it a jelly cube, and it's exactly what you're thinking. It is a gelatinous cube that Finn has to get a key out of. It's a, There's a key in the middle of this jelly cube that Finn needs to get. I, he doesn't, I think, end up getting the cube. He gets stuck inside the gelatinous cube, the jelly cube. But to me, I had this moment of, that's brilliant. Like, I want to make a dungeon or an encounter where the PCs have to get stuff that's inside gelatinous cubes. Because I've put gelatinous cubes in my campaign. You've put yours into I've, your campaign. I've used them to clean up the sewers yep, and trash. Sewers, trash, yeah. <laughs> trash <laughs> Which was decomposers. Awesome. It was pretty fantastic. Like, they were like trained gelatinous cubes. They just follow. They just, you hire somebody to walk the dungeon, and they'll yep. just follow them and clean up all the trash that's uh, so under the city. But, like, you could have a dungeon where the PCs have to get stuff from inside the gelatinous cubes. Because every time I put gelatinous cubes in, there's always this player debate of, do we want to waste the time? Not waste the time, but do we want the XP to kill it? Or do we just walk away? Because these things move so slow. Well, if the PCs have to get stuff inside these gelatinous cubes, there's no walking away. They got to fight gelatinous cubes. And especially for low-level PCs, gelatinous cubes are pretty terrifying. Yeah, I've never fought one. I would like to fight one. There you <laughs> Make go. me fight one. <laughs> Make me, please, <laughs> put all my equipment in the gelatinous <laughs> cube. <laughs> the next episode that we want to talk about is Moraturi de Moraturi te salutum. I will say it right, and we will edit all this out. Moraturi te salutamus. Thank you, Jared, for pronouncing <laughs> that. I would have never got through it. That's season three, episode two, and that phrase actually just. If you didn't know when you were watching the episode, because I certainly didn't, is a Latin phrase that I've heard this Latin phrase before. It's, we who are about to die salute you. And it's related to Roman gladiators. They'd say that uh, to the emperor before they were about to possibly die. I think that's an ACDC quote. Oh, okay. That's what it is. (laughs) And so in this episode, Jake and Finn, they come to this like ruined arena And they hear this voice inside beckoning them to come in. And immediately they know that it's not a good idea. That's a trap. Yeah, they want to walk away. But they decide, ah, sounds fun. So they go in to the trap. I think Finn starts thinking, oh, but all the cool stuff that we could fight in there. (laughs) Like like Finn is totally like a and d player. He's the dungeon crawler and Jake is the role player. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. And so... Finn and Jake enter into this arena, and there is this character called the Fight King. He's, like, sitting on a high throne. He's got a big sword. And he, of course, Jake and Finn are trapped here, and they have to fight undead ghost gladiators. And so he promises Finn and Jake glory if they enter. They decide to. They enter. And it reaches this point where Finn and Jake who in my mind are the PCs in this, in this show, mm-hmm. um, they end up having to fight each other. And there's this point where you're like, I mean, 
as an adult, I'm watching and I'm like, clearly they're not going to kill each other. <laughs> like, but there's this point that if you didn't know how TV shows work, you'd be like, oh no, they're going to have to kill each other. And what ends up happening is they trick the fight king. They're like, I can't kill him with, I can't remember who had who on the ropes. I think Finn was a, saying, I can't kill Jake unless I have a bigger sword. And so the fight king's like, here, and gives him his sword. And Finn ends up breaking it. And when he breaks it, the fight king was like tied to that sword, which we've talked about in another episode about like how ghosts are in some lore, like tied to items specifically, which is cool lore. I like that a yeah, lot. That's so a good idea. he breaks this sword and the fight king dies. Yeah. I don't <laughs> Goes remember. Goes away. Whatever it is, uh, he's gone. And, at that moment when the fight king is destroyed, when they defeat the fight king through trickery, uh, all the rest of the ghost gladiators, their souls start to rise into the air, which they believe is they freed these souls from being trapped under the fight king, a stronger spirits like rain and like slavery, basically, which is like really a cool idea for an adventure in D and D. Like you find this ruined arena and there's the spirit that traps you inside. You have to go through all these battles to maybe even reach this point where maybe it, maybe you don't, you know, you, you don't sit there as a DM waiting for your players to say the, like, give me your sword, like knowing what, the show is and everything mm -hmm. but maybe you just reach the point where the fight king's like if if my ghost warriors can't kill you i'll do it myself and you end up having to fight this fight king and if you defeat him you free these souls that'd be a fan i like that'd yeah. be a really good campaign. easy simple yeah um but a lot of fun for a lot of fun like battle that could definitely last for at least a night of D, &D. Mm -hmm. easily in season four episode 12 called gotcha uh lumpy space princess uh, she's doing her lumpy space princessing things, you know, like, uh, and <laughs> she ends up going into this portal and in this portal, I think Finn and Jake are on the other side and they see the portal, but they get distracted by something. Lumpy space princess goes off by herself cause nobody tells her what to do. And so she goes inside this portal and on the other side, there's this chamber of mirrors and she, I think beforehand she was trying to like seduce Finn uh, she's like, why doesn't he like me? He likes all yeah, the other she's, princesses. She's trying to prove to, is it Turtle Princess? Uh, Maybe. <laughs> that that she can like seduce any person. Turtle Princess says, oh, well, you should get Finn. Yeah. So she she pretends to be like their totally Turtle Princess, you're right. <laughs> yeah, pretends to be uh, a secretary for them the whole time mm -hmm. is trying to like, write this trashy love novel <laughs> about her and Finn. Yeah, so, so she goes in this room and in these mirrors that are all around this room, Finn's image appears. And in a weird, this is a kid show fashion, they take off their shirts <laughs> and they take off their hats. That's my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> and they reveal their long, Finn's long hair. And she's just like, oh man, these are even more hot than the real Finn. And one of the like Finn, mirror Finns as they're called, puts his hand outside of the mirror, like it comes outside of the mirror, and as it comes out, it's completely black. And they all start coming out of the mirror, and they're completely black, which makes a lot of people think that this is a callback to, if you ever played Legends of Zelda, where they had Dark Link, like this Shadow Link that like fought Link himself, and you had to beat him. Like That's got to be where they got it from, which I like. It's an old, like That's what we part of the thing reason that we like Adventure Time because the homages to things that they do that as geeks we love and we catch those 
homages. We're like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. And so these things come out, and they're all black. They're just a pitch black, and they start attacking Lumpy Space Princess, who is not a good fighter, so she runs. <laughs> uh, Finn and Jake, the real ones, eventually come through, and they start doing battle against mirror fins. And with every mirror fin that Finn and Jake destroy, the mirror that they came out of breaks and shatters. Now, this is just a really sweet idea that I think would be a fantastic encounter. Like, you could have it be a, a character that sees himself in the mirror. We talked about the mirror men that uh, the adventures, the PCs in my campaign fought, that it's these mirrors that basically duplicate their attacks and how they've almost a couple times killed them because the players are so cocky until they have to go up against themselves and realize, oh, crap, <laughs> shouldn't have min-maxed. <laughs> uh, but, like, this is this would be a really sweet encounter. And with every one you break, you have these mirror things around the room that they explode, and then that's done. That creature's dead. Yeah, another episode that I wanted to mention was Season 4, Episode 18, called Kingworm. And I, I personally, I don't remember a lot of the details about this episode, but I liked the idea uh, for a campaign because Finn gets... I think the worm goes into his head. Yeah. And basically, he's he's brought well, like to in this... his ear and whispers to him when he's sleeping or something like that. Right, yeah. he, he's brought to this uh, dream world... Uh, and he has to interact with his dream world, and he's not sure at first what's real and what's fake, and some things seem off, and he finally figures it out, and it's revealed to him that he has to defeat or beat this worm. But I just like the idea of being able to do something fun, something silly, something that can be canonical even, but doesn't really count because it's a dream. And and make it clear to your players it's a dream. Don't just pull... Uh, pull it out from under them and say, oh, that whole thing was a dream. Yeah. <laughs> but let them have to escape this dream world because then you can do weird and, and sometimes silly things without losing too much seriousness yeah. because it's a it's dream. It's a dream. You can, you can break all laws of physics without even tapping into magic because it's a dream. Jared, do you remember that we actually did something like this back in the Joe Fuel campaign? You guys had the rings of Nightmare. Oh, yeah. And like, you guys started like... it. I think they started appearing and you guys started... Ent- like one person had it, had a Nightmare... They just were like, ah, oh, the stupid ring that's, it's, it was mostly, it was, it started out as a role-playing curse. Like nothing like stat wise ended up happening. Uh, but like one person fell into a nightmare that had this ring appear on him. And then all of a sudden another person had a ring appear on him. And then they started sharing the nightmare. And then eventually the whole group had this nightmare and they started sharing a nightmare together. And eventually they started losing sleep, which in D and D can be terrible and even to the point where they started waking up with bruises and stuff on them and like something like that like yeah. that's terrifying like but like you said dream world rules are different than real world rules if your characters are in a dream nobody's going to look at you as the dm and be like that wouldn't happen mm. you cuz you look right back and say it's a dream <laughs> yeah i i like it because i mean there's uh there's some novels that i'm reading that involve a dream world that's really interesting and and even in, if you think about the way we dream a lot of times it's it's what we're thinking happens and so you can have this element of especially if you're sharing a dream with a group like what Mitch was saying where you can turn to one player and say bob 
you know, what is it you're thinking about right now? And Bob might say, oh, I'm thinking about how I'm deathly afraid of snakes. And all of a sudden you've got giant snake creatures to fight. Oh, or one player might say, oh, I'm thinking I've got this awesome weapon. But the other player is super yeah. scared and all the weapons gone or there's a monster happen. And a lot of it is not just rolling stats and abilities, but it's like a battle of thoughts at that mm-hmm. point between you and the villains and, and the other people in the group who legitimately have to play scared because <laughs> it's a nightmare or they have to play certain emotions because that's what the, you say as a DM they have to do. Yeah. Uh, in a dream. That would be really interesting. I like that you said that. That'd be interesting to kind of have this like thing with the players that you're like, all right, guys, like here's the thing. I'm going to have monsters come at you in the stream but I don't want to create the monsters. When you guys think of something, just tell me what you think of. And like, like just like a player just being like, ah, dang it, I just thought of a black dragon. Like, yeah. and he's just like, black dragon appears. Like, yeah, and you'd be kind of, it could get chaotic. There has to be like, once again, this is a, you have to understand your players and, because it could get just get ridiculous fast, but that could be a lot of fun. And and if going crazy is is an issue, you can ask leading questions instead of just leaving it open. Yeah. Like like um, you walk into a room, there's an item in there that you just can't ignore. You mm-hmm. want to take it. What is it? What is it? Yeah. And or, all of a sudden, or, or even like go around the table. Like what color is it? What weapon is it? What is right. blah blah blah? Like what does it like look like? You can do that with creatures too. You walk into a room and a creature is staring at you with what color eyes? Red. Uh, it's got skin like what? And like mm. it's all furry. It, like yeah. you go around and like you you create the creature together in this dream world, and it manifests through the dreams of all these characters together. Yeah, and also I'll say idea. as a side note, even that sort of collaborative play where they're making you ask the players just to provide small details. Um, like you as a DM, like the suggestion I said, you want to put an item that they want to steal. You don't even have to think of it. Let them think of it on the mm-hmm. spot. It doesn't have to be in a dream, but that's a good side note for uh, collaborative storytelling. Another episode that I thought was really interesting, uh, season five, episode four called Up a Tree. Basically, Finn, Jake, and uh, Lady Rainicorn go on this picnic, and a frisbee is tossed, and it goes up into a tree. And so Finn climbs this giant tree to try and get this frisbee back, and along the way, a squirrel feeds him an apple, and it turned out to be a whole ploy to like stop Finn from reaching the top, and it makes him small. And I just think it'd be really sweet if your characters were shrunk down and they had to go through this tree and climb up these layers of the tree <laughs> and to build a dungeon that's a tree. Yeah. And then you have these miniature characters of yours uh, fighting giant squirrels, <laughs> which are just squirrels or chipmunks or owls or anything. But especially if they're giant squirrels, like that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Squirrels are fast. Like they're yeah. going to pick you up and eat you like a nut. Like, that's horrible. And it's, you know, he gets towards the top and he, he overhears the meeting between all these animals and they've got this expression, you know, in the tree, part of the tree. <laughs> in, in the, the tree, tree, part of the, of the tree. tree. <laughs> and it's just, uh, it's just it an interesting... It reminds me of the, uh, the little toys, aliens in Toy Story yeah. 1 of us. <laughs> just a, Join us. Just a, sort of a silly idea and maybe not the kind of dungeon I want to put together, but I think it would be fun to, like, plan these... Oh, yeah. levels of walking up this tree and climbing it and and fighting uh, bugs even bugs yeah. at that point if you're small or whatever so A praying mantis comes at you it's bigger than you right then you got the opportunity to do what if you don't kill it what if you like capture it and then you're riding pri- praying mantises <laughs> and fighting giant squirrels yeah <laughs> that'd be so much fun 
So the last episode that we want to specifically talk about an adventure, this might be my favorite episode. It's, I it's, love this episode. It's my favorite, at least, idea to take and make yeah. a real oh, thing yeah. for this D&D. This was the episode that made me think I want to do an Adventure Time to D&D episode. And so this is Season 5, Episode 36, called Dungeon Train. We mentioned it a little bit earlier when we talked about the lightning sword. And so what happens is... In this episode, Finn and Jake, I don't remember where exactly they're trying to go to. Some cave, Some but cave. it doesn't make it clear what cave And I don't think to. they ever end up getting to the cave. No. So on the way, they reach this point where they, they hit a train, and this train is just going past, and they're just like, we'll just wait for the train to go past. And they wait, and they wait two hours, and all of a sudden, they're just like, what the heck's wrong with this train? Where is this tra- How long is this train? And Jake, who is a shape-shifting dog, elongates his head to look over, and he notices that this is a train that's on a track, that it's a continuous train that just goes in a circle. There's no beginning. There's no front end. There's no caboose. It's just a train that goes in a circle, and I guess the cave is in the middle. And so they're like, oh, we got to go through the train. So they wait for the train to come by, and there's a, a door open in one of the sides. They jump in the train. They're about to jump out the other side when they notice that there's monsters in this train. Yeah, a guy comes, a guy opens up the door and comes running at them. Yeah. Like, this guy is trying to beat them. Mm-hmm. Like, they're monsters in this train. Yeah, this bad guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they defeat him, and, and Finn, as the dungeon crawl loving kind yep. of guy, I think just Jake's wants to like, kill All right, things. Finn, come on, let's go. He's defeated. Yeah, Finn is uh, Finn loves dungeon crawling, and so he just wants to kill everything. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so he starts fighting and going through the train and fighting everything he sees. Yep. And so, like, they go through the train car to train car, and each one has different monsters. Sometimes they reach these points where there's different bosses, like big bad guys that fight them. And every time he beats a boss, he gets more awesome loot. Like, he keeps on stocking up and getting just sweet loot, sweet loot to the point where he's, like, just got all this crazy cool items on. And Jake, who you pointed out, he's the role player. (laughs) He gets bored, and he's just like, Finn, like, that's enough. Like, we've got a lot of good loot. Like, this is a fun time. Let's let's move on. Finn doesn't want to move on. Finn's like, no, a couple more cards. Keeps going. Eventually, they keep on going, and Jake's getting really tired, but he doesn't want to leave his friend behind. They notice they enter into a train car, and it looks exactly like a train car they've been in like before. the crystal ants that they yeah. fought before. But the crystal ants, and, and Jake says this. He's like, this is the same room. And Finn's like, no, it's not. The ants in that room were red. These are blue ants. Like, this is totally different, Jake. <laughs> and I think Jake starts to realize this is not good like finn's turning into a crazy person he's going on this infinite loop in this train these monsters must must regenerate or something and i think does he leave finn for a little well jake jake at that point says all right i'm leaving and kind of like lingers behind to see if finn will follow him. i'm leaving and he goes up to the top of this train and he sees this hairy almost wookie looking dude with a little pointy (laughs) magic hat on and he like cuddles up with him for a while and uh, eventually, I think from that beast that he ends up destroying when it attacks them, like after they've slept together the whole night, uh, something that tells the future, or like a future seeing orb. He had some sort of orb, I believe, that could see the future. And he sees the future is Finn as an old, old man. Guy, decked out with all these items. Right. And he's. He's just so old and he's still on the train. And like Jake then goes back into the train to try and 
convince Finn one more time. They end up getting in a fight. Finn like wraps him up with this cool spider wand, which is another cool item. And then Finn ends up seeing through that future orb that the whole time that Finn is an old man is walking is being followed by Jake. As who never dog, who yep. never left his side yeah. all those years. And that's what convinces Finn to leave yeah. after a couple weeks of fighting. Because I think Jake goes to him he's like, you're going you're gonna to die here. You're going to be an old man going through the dungeon. And Finn's just like, awesome. <laughs> but then he realizes, oh, but you'll never leave me and this is not what you want. Right. Yeah. But it's like the idea of this infinite dungeon. It keeps going and you keep getting loot, but it never ends. And like almost like I like players are not players are not Finn. <laughs> like even the most min maxi dungeon crawly player is eventually going to go. I'm at least going to go back to town and get more health potions before I come back here. Mm-hmm. Like they're not going to get sucked in like that. But you could make this a dungeon where with every room they enter, if they try to leave, they have to roll will save. Hmm. And yeah. and depending on if they make it or not, they want to stay. They want to keep going. You could even like drop in like little things like they can kind of see the next room and see the loot in the next room. This could be a crazy, crazy like idea as a as a DM because if you take what the show did and just drop tons of loot on them, eventually they're gonna leave and have all this crazy loot. There's a one shot campaign though. It's one shot idea yeah. or. Um, yeah, there's, there's ways you can get around that. You mentioned the bosses earlier, mm-hmm. which is once in a yeah. while there's a boss. And it makes me wonder, maybe this is obvious in the way it's supposed to be, or maybe I'm thinking the way I shouldn't. But it almost seemed like the bosses like were people that were yeah, on the train. Yeah, I think they explained that in the episode. Yeah. They are other adventurers who had died. Because I almost well, think they that d- they all were actually old. That they all were like, yeah, they, that... That eventually, like, yeah, maybe they weren't dead. Maybe they were just, like, they were other adventurers who got Who stuck. had loot, and it made them yep. seem like they were a boss, and then Finn had to encounter them and yep. fight them because they thought Finn was just yeah. another thing to fight. And this is something that would be so, so difficult to pull off as a DM, but I think if somebody could pull this off, it would just be so fantastic. So if you are a DM who plays with multiple groups even through like the years that you DM for other groups and such, it'd be so cool to at least once with each of those groups play this dungeon that you built. That's like a really long dungeon. And every time you play with one of those groups, you copy the stats. You get like a photocopier and copy the stats of their PCs. And so eventually what you're going to have is you're going to have this awesome dungeon that you can play with a group and every boss they come up with is going to be like, you can even like take the PC sheets that you've gotten over time and level them like in order of what level they were playing. But if you're going to be playing with PCs that of actual games you've run, that's a crazy feat. Like if anybody pulls that off ever, like even if it's 15 years from now, write to us and let us know because that's that would be amazing. Like that'd be something that I can only dream of as a DM. That'd be so much fun. And as a player, find out that that's what, the dm did i'd be just so in awe like and be like wow that is so cool especially like we've done cameos in campaigns before and it almost be really cool to like you're going through this train and or this dungeon and you're just encountering pcs from the past that you've played and your your friends have played although i don't think joe would make a very good boss (laughs) 
Yeah, unless you play an undead PC that he can heal to death, <laughs> I don't think the pacifist is going to be a good boss. <laughs> Outpaint me and you can pass. All right, so that's all we have for you today with the meat and talking about Adventure Time. We hope that whether you love Adventure Time or not, because you are a brilliant individual who loves good TV, or if you don't so much care for Adventure Time, that you got something from this episode and some idea that you were just like, that would be fantastic for a D&D campaign. But without any further ado, we're going to head to the mailbag. They have been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? All right, so for this segment of the mailbag of holding, the place where we share ideas, stories, and questions from you, the listener, we have a couple questions and things that we're going to go through today. The first one comes from Michael, a.k.a. Laser Snipe. <laughs> and Michael writes in, and he's, he basically says he's playing in the Star Wars Edge of the Empire campaign, and he's been playing with a group, and he's having a little trouble with his players. So he has one player that is a, he says he's a natural, take-charge kind of guy, very gung-ho, eager, and goal-centric. He's kind of taken the leader position in, in his group as, like, PCs and stuff, just because that's who he is as a person as well. And he's like, that's fine. That's okay. However, his other players are not so gung-ho, like jump right in, like it doesn't come naturally to them as far as role-playing and seeing opportunities and grabbing onto them. And what's kind of started to happen is that this one player who is has kind of started to be a hog as far as the spotlight. So far that he is the DM, Michael has tried to make opportunities where the other players would get role-playing opportunities. But the only time that it doesn't end up this player just jumps in and takes those opportunities himself is when it's something that he, his character, directly doesn't know about. And he says, even then, this player looks for every opportunity, and I've seen this so much with players, looks for every opportunity to figure out a way for his character to find out about those secrets. We've had that happen in campaigns mm-hmm. before where characters have had secrets and the the players know about it and you can just see right. at, whether you're another player at the table who's not involved or you're you're the DM you're like dude you're you're so trying they just, to find they out think about of it. the most yeah. roundabout logical yeah. ways that oh of course they have to know about yep. it because this and this and this like, okay. And you always hear like, dude, like really, like you would do that, like you would just, and they're like, of course, it's my character. Of course, it's I like, would oh, naturally on, just man. do that. Uh, so we we hear you on that. But basically, what he says, he's like, none of these guys are bad guys. He's not really complaining and saying like this guy is a is a problem in the sense that he's trying to be a jerk. He's just that's who he is as a person. He's more gung ho. He's more jump in, do, and the other guys aren't so much. But he said, what's some advice from us to like? How can he get the other players more involved? And maybe how can he lessen the like spotlight stealing almost from this other player? My initial thoughts for Michael was to have his players that aren't so gung-ho, that aren't the leaders, make very specific plot lines and plot points that are geared directly for those characters so that they can hopefully take charge a little bit. But it sounds like... Michael's already sort of done those kinds of things. So I think what needs to happen, and I think you agreed, Mitch, was a side conversation with the player that's being a problem in ways. I think we've mentioned it here on here before, but 
a lot of the times when it comes to problem players or just problems with players, because that doesn't always equate to problem players. Sometimes you just have issues for whatever reason. A lot of time it comes down to bad communication. And we're not saying that you have bad communication, but sometimes the way to fix certain issues is by going the extra mile with having good communication. And a lot of the times players just don't, especially if it's a player who has never DM before, it's really hard to understand the things that a DM has to think about. And like as a player, you're coming to the table thinking a lot of times about your PC, like your game. You want to have fun. Yeah. As a DM, we're constantly, hopefully, we're constantly thinking of D&D as a team game because we're running it and we're trying to pay attention to all the PCs at the same time and then the players and trying to give them each hopefully equal time and get them all involved. And this is definitely what laser snipe michael is doing and so we were both just of the opinion that you have a side conversation with this player but i think the first thing you want to do is you don't want to jump in and be like dude you're you're screwing the game up you're making it wrong like you're really being a jerk and hogging the spotlight we both kind of agreed the best thing to do is to encourage him and be like hey man you do this really well you're a really good role player. Like, it's pretty awesome how you've taken a leadership role in the group, how the other guys see that in you. I wonder, though, had you have you noticed that the other guys haven't really latched on like you have and your character have to, like, certain story points and things like that? Can you, as a player who's good at this, help me as the DM to kind of lead them and help to show them the way to role play and to to latch onto these opportunities and let's get them more involved. You're really good at it. Let's help. Can you help me get them more involved? I agree. I think that side conversation is something that can be very beneficial to everybody. If it happens in a way that's very encouraging. I know for Mitch and I, we're both in positions of leadership often. And a lot of that as a leader is seeing a way to lead others so that they can act, so that they feel worthy, so that they have purpose. And it sounds like the other players might not want to make choices. So it doesn't seem like leading them in a sense that you're forcing them to make choices, but leading them, and sometimes in leadership, taking a step back. And being the group leader is okay, but let them have their specific things that they care about and lead in a way that allows them to be the central focus, even if they're not the decision maker, even if they're following you, but they're the central focus. Uh, And then you'll have your own moments where you can do that. So that would be our advice. We hope that that helps you out, Michael, or anybody else who maybe has dealt with this issue or is dealing with this issue. Hopefully that can be something that brings about positive results. The biggest problem is that you're playing Star Wars and everybody (laughs) knows that Star Wars is not. Star Wars is amazing. Jared's a Trekkie and ugh. Drives me crazy. Our second question comes from Tucker DeBolt. And Tucker writes in and basically says that uh, he's a relatively new DM. And he's been texting his players a lot and asking them uh, after his D&D sessions for feedback and how he can improve and how the game can go smoother for everybody. And he, he takes their advice and he focuses on that for the next session. And he says, overall, I think it helps me and them to figure out how we can improve our game. That's really good. I think that's a fantastic idea. His question comes, he says, does this get annoying for players? 
Is there a point where I should stop asking them for feedback? I'm honestly kind of self-conscious about my DM skills and want to do the best I can to set up a game for them. So I worry that they don't like certain things that I do. Uh, is it bad for me to ask for feedback ever after every session? Should I stop being so self-conscious with my skills and the things I set up for them? So, Jared, what are your thoughts on that, first of all? Yeah, my initial thoughts are to answer some of the basic questions that Tucker asked. And I think my answer to all of them, if I'm not mistaken, is yes. Uh, yes, there is a point where it gets too annoying. Yes, you shouldn't be so self-conscious. Uh, you need to be confident. You are the DM. You're the creator of the world. There's a lot of work that goes into that. So first, be proud of the amount of effort you put into it, whether you're creating this whole world or whether you're running a module of some sort. You are the one with all the responsibility. And hopefully uh, the guys and or girls at the table can appreciate that aspect of it and just be able to trust your players to communicate with you when there's something they really like or don't like and they may not they might not flat out say it but they'll they'll say oh man that was so good or or you'll be able to see that maybe they're uncomfortable with something and you can talk to them but trust them to talk to you Uh, mitch and i are in front of talking to people all the time and i know i rarely get feedback ever but if there is an issue i hear about it and if i did something really well i hear about it everything else yeah even if it's not from the person themselves like right you usually end up hearing about everything else is okay and it's all right and it's just part of the process Mm -hmm. I think that in general, his idea of wanting to get feedback is fantastic. Like Mm -hmm. he, he wants to improve his game. He wants to be better. And like at his, the heart of what he's saying, I see like this real desire to, and this is why I think Tucker, you're doing a great job as a DM. You want to make the game better for your players. You want to have them have a great time. And honestly, like Jared said, like you're putting your, a lot of effort into it. It's clear if you weren't putting effort into it, then you wouldn't be writing us and asking this question. I've had bad experiences with DMs in the past, and it's never been like a, man, I just hated that story. It's always been the DM was, I could tell the DM was lazy, and they didn't care about their story, so they came to the table unprepared, or the DM was being a complete and total control freak jerk and not letting us as players, like, play an actual game and like have fun generally speaking if you like it they'll like it if you put work into it they'll respond to that you put your heart into your game they'll see that excitement and become excited because of that and so yeah like jared said like it can get annoying and stuff like that and i think in general i think our biggest advice would once again go back to our previous answer to the previous question is it's about communication like we're assuming that this is a group of friends you're playing with just ask like hey guys do i ask too much do i ask too much like about this like but be confident in your work too and there's nothing wrong with like at the end of the session just being like guys did you have fun tonight and just like asking like what were can you guys just give me a couple ideas of the things that you liked the best and a couple of things that you disliked the most and the best feeling is when nobody can think of things that they disliked and may and honestly if they give you stuff that they really disliked then there you, you go, that you're looking for that feedback. And don't become discouraged because of that, but go, okay, well, that wasn't for them, so now I know for the next time. Yeah, ask them the question, do I ask too many questions? 
And if they say <laughs> yes, like I did, and I'm sorry if that hurts to hear, but it might hurt to hear that. But don't take that as a negative. Take that as an, okay, now I get to ask them one more question. Will you guys please tell me if there's anything you have an issue with or if there's anything you really like in the future? And then you have, you have put the ball in their court uh, or you have put the sword on their sword belt. <laughs> I'm not sure how that translates to uh, this conversation. But yeah, make make that their job. And then you can occasionally, if they don't respond, ask those questions. Yeah. But be encouraged by the fact that what you're doing, like like we said, like we can tell that your heart is in it. And that's really the most important thing. Because if your heart is like in what you're doing, then everything that you're putting work into, it's gonna that's gonna show. And you clearly care about your players, you clearly care about your game. We've as DMs Jared, you and me have done this before where we've wondered the same thing about campaigns and what our players want. And I think part of the hard thing in this that we found out was that unless you have a group of like all the same kind of people, (laughs) sometimes it's very vastly different of what players want. But uh, at the beginning of two of our campaigns, one for yours, one for mine, we decided to ask, send out like survey questions. Like basically like here, these are, don't show this to anybody else. Don't show anybody your answers. Here's some questions. Send me the answers to these questions. And I, as the DM, I'm going to take this into account as I DM a new campaign. Yeah, for me, it wasn't so much that I didn't feel confident. And I'm sure for Mitch, it wasn't an issue of confidence. But the issue with our group was every single person, every person at the table played differently in a lot of aspects. And so our survey was all about, well, how do you create a character? Race first or class first? What's important to your characters? Are you a min-maxer? Do you like balance? All of these things. And um, a lot of it is focused on how much do they like the role play, how much do they like dungeon crawling, all these different aspects. And everybody's answers were across the board. But at least that gave us a tool to understand the players at the table so that on certain moments we could... Uh, really have person A appreciate what we're doing, and in certain moments, person C appreciates mm-hmm. what we're doing. And you try and spread that around and, and make it an even experience for everybody, which is impossible, <laughs> but you do the best you can yeah. because that's a fun thing to try and do for your friends. And we'll be honest, there were people who took our surveys that basically were just like, I hate taking this survey. <laughs> like, I don't want to do this. Like, And they did, and it helped us. But like, you're asking, like, is there a point where you're getting too, like, are you annoying your players? Like, some of the players that we asked to do the survey were just annoyed by the fact that most of them were cool with it, but some of them were just annoyed by the fact that they had to write down things that had to do with D&D, and they're just like, ah, this is not what I want to do. But that being said, if you can do that like once at the beginning of the campaign and not make it too long, maybe that'll help. Or even just right now, like, I'm okay, guys, here's my last thing. Can you guys just fill this out for me, and then I'm done. And just get a general understanding. That's something that we've done in the past, and it worked for us. Just an idea. Now, before we close out this episode of the Dungeon Masters block, we have DM Neil and DM Main Prize here for another segment of DM Nastics. Take it away, guys. Welcome back to DM Nastics, the gym for Dungeon Masters to work out their minds. I am Dungeon Master Main Prize. And I'm DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. Today, we're going to talk about another section of the DM Nastics we pulled off of the uh, forums for Dungeon Masters block. This one ties into episode 27, which was one of the Divine Spotlights. In that episode, they talked about 
Mord and Cord, Nyax and the Green Empress. Those last two were homebrewed gods. One of them was made by Tinsy, and he was a guest on that episode. He uh, runs the Death D4 Dishonor podcast. So definitely check that out if you're looking for another D&D podcast to add to the ones you already listened to. The Diamnastics that matched up with this episode was Diamnastics number nine, and it was titled Gods Among Us. And DM Neil's going to kind of explain how that went. So for this Diamnastics, we kind of wanted to do a more collaborative effort where everyone on the forums could help build out a, a god, a deity for their world, be it homebrew or just toss it in the mix with the, the standard gods from Dungeons and Dragons. So I'll read the culmination of that project. Arquilon, god of story and storytelling. His domains are knowledge and tempest. He often takes the form of a gigantic old wise turtle. Arquilon's symbol is that of a bisected rectangle, which represents an open book. Often decorative items have turtle-themed designs and details. The three core tenets of faith of Arquilon are as follows. Every story contains some truth, no matter how small or large. Remember the past and to seek and collect the stories. Worshippers of Arquilon are called seekers. The clerics are called curators. And the paladins of Arquilon are called stewards of the yard. So that alone would be an awesome setup for a homebrew god, but the forums went nuts and they continued to add stuff to this new god idea. So they came up with temples. The temples of Arquilon are called the Great Libraries. And in these temples, it's just full of books. It's a place where all the stories and books are collected over time and all the worshipers and the clerics will keep and write their own stories there. There are also two holy days that we kind of created to celebrate Arquilon and stories. The first is called the High Chronicle. The High Chronicle consists of both feasts and legends. It all culminates in a moment called the Grand Memoir, uh, which is a giant grand storytelling challenge. Definitely the kind of thing I could see your players that are bards getting involved in, or clerics, if they're clerics of this god as well. And we talked about the realm that Arquilon would dwell in. They decided it was going to be called Ismaret, and this realm is woven together out of all the stories ever told or known. So another thing that came out of that was uh, kind of like the relic of Arquilon or some kind of powerful magic item related to the god. So the one that I came up with was Arquilon's magnum opus. So for me, it was just like this giant tome pinned by the god himself. And it grants the owner proficiency advantage on all knowledge-based checks made while in possession of the tome. But the true power of the tome is actually allowing its users to relive stories within its pages. If they know a story, they are allowed to travel through time and space to get there uh, and take with them those who know the story as well and are in physical contact with the tome. You know, kind of uh, like crazy time travel, you know, like Ninja Turtles 3 which was the worst of them. Don't talk about it. <laughs> uh, this allows those who traveled uh, through the tome to rewrite the story through their actions. So definitely that Spider-Man vibe of great power comes with great responsibility. Very true. So we thought that was a really cool thing. We started out with just a blank template for a god. You know, what would its followers be called? What would their festivals be? What would their tenants be? And the community on the forums, we just kind of built this god from scratch. And it ended up being really cool to see how people would feed off of each other's ideas, suggest things. And it ended up turning into this really interesting conversation about alignment, about what would the god's alignment be? 
the forum was split into a lot of different groups. A lot of people were saying, you know, they would be, it would be good. It would be evil because stories, there's all kinds of stories out there. There's good stories. There's bad stories. There's tragedies, there's comedies. And so one of the coolest things about this gymnastic for me was to watch people create the God and then talk about how it would interact with their game, especially dealing with alignment. So if you ever hop on the forums, be sure you go dig up this thread and check it out because some really cool conversations occurred. That being said, it was pretty simple, uh, but it was a cool style because everyone collaborated together to make something completely new. I'm definitely considering including this God into my own homebrew setting. I think it's something that you could have a lot of fun with. So hop on the forums, get involved with these conversations and these challenges. It's definitely a good way to test yourself as a DM, test your creativity, flex those creative muscles as it were. To do that, head over to dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net. Try some gymnastics so your players don't ask, do you even lift? I got to get a pump. That's it. It's good. It hurts. I know it does. That's it. Get it. Well, with that, that's all that we have for you on this episode of the Dungeon Masters Block. Jared, if they want to write and maybe they want to get their question or story or idea featured on an episode of the Dungeon Master Block in the future, where can they contact us at? Yeah, they can reach you uh, through electronic mail at <laughs> dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And if they want to show some lovin', they can leave a five-star review on iTunes uh, and be featured in a future episode of Dungeon Master. Yes, they can. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can like our Facebook page. Both of those places have news about the show and just awesome Dungeon Mastering and D&D memes and all-around awesome stuff. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block the place where we come together and talk about the dungeon master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all their people at the table. We'll see you next week. Our dungeon master's block, your dungeon master's block, dungeon master's block for everyone. Goodbye.